Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And on today's episode, I am so excited to share with you a chat with the incredible Montaigne, also known as Jess, who is an Australian singer, songwriter, artist, gamer. And she you might recognize her from the she was the Australian representative for Eurovision a few years back. I think it must have been 2020 when COVID hit and she wasn't able to be there in person. I will check that fact. I literally checked the fact it's 2021. Um, 2021, Montaigne was a great Eurovision year, um, but has done plenty of incredible things, including three albums, recently collaborated with David Byrne from Talking Heads, which is like an idol, like, you know, fabulous hero of mine. And, um, yeah, has had plenty of successes, but also has this incredible uh, down-to-earth, like, truth to her. And I really love their story and how they came into their career. Um, So we dive into all of that into the episode, as well as advice for somebody who might be looking to build a music career for themselves and also just artists who are interested in getting to know, you know, staying true to themselves and what's authentic and, you know, in an industry like the music industry that is a a lot of pressure to keep creating and putting things out, um, this is a beautiful conversation about how do you stay true to, you know, what's right for you and your creative process and stay inspired um, in that as well. Uh, So lots of incredible advice, uh, incredible story, and just an incredible human. So thank you to Jess for being on the show. Enjoy the episode and let us know what you think. Amazing. Welcome to the podcast, Jess. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have you and congratulations. You've just had your new album released and you're currently on tour. Tell us a bit about that and how it's all going. Well, I'm really happy to be out playing to fans again. I did a few festivals this year, which was also really fun, but it is a vastly different experience playing to people who know and love your music than to just like going into a space where people have bought tickets to see like a bunch of different acts and um, to sort of get a taste of everything. And it's been very heartening, like very encouraging because you sort of, after not doing it for a few years, you forget like people's actual physical responses to your music because all I ever see really is like the online stuff which you know it's like it definitely it means something to get a heartfelt message from a fan but also when you your whole life is just like looking at the screen and seeing messages all the time it kind of like gets diluted a little bit the effect of it so it's nice to actually like be in the physical spaces and have people like sing my lyrics back at me and meet people after shows and that's been super nice Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty wild, hey, because it's very easy to see these numbers and kind of get accustomed to them and then you go, oh, they're actually real people, but (laughs) they're not just numbers on a screen. Mm. Um, Amazing. And you've had a pretty incredible career. Um, The new album's got David Byrne on it, which Mm. is incredible. But you've also done things with Hilltop Hoods, Eurovision, Triple J, there's so many incredible things. Also, just like three albums in <laughs> how quick? <laughs> like very short yeah, amount of time. It's all one after the other. I wouldn't say I'm the most like <laughs> prolific in terms of releases. There are artists, I, like I think it's King Gizzard who's like released like 16 albums live and recorded or something like that in like the last 10 years or something. Anyway, something crazy Wild. like that. But um. But, uh, no, I'm proud of my output, though. I think, you know, I write fairly prolifically. Lately less, like, I, I don't um, – I'm just not as, uh, I suppose, moved to write at the moment just because of, one, being busy and, like, being in the middle of a current album release, but also just, like, 
you know, mm. I'm, I'm enjoying other hobbies at the moment um, and other things and you, that, that all gets fed back into the writing process yeah. eventually. But, um, yeah. No, I, and I read a little bit about that because I think you're into the gaming scene and doing, like, music for, like, yeah. video games and I'd that's like a huge hobby. Yeah. yeah, I would, I mean, gaming is a hobby for me. It's something I would like to have a professional career in, like doing music or composition for games. Um the thing is, like, I don't know, my pathway to it isn't exactly clear just because of, like, the management and label I have. Like, I, they, they don't specialise in, um, I don't know, like, gaming contracts and, and writing contracts for that stuff. They're very much in the world of, like, pop and band music kind of thing. Mm. Um, so that's been, like, one of, I suppose, the obstacles to navigate is just, like, I don't know, figuring out how to actually, like, break into that scene and, like, mm-hmm. what... I can feasibly do with the label, uh, with the like uh, contract deals I have with current labels and stuff like that because um, I don't know, like there was this indie developer who was like, would you like to compose for this game? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and we were both very excited about it, but then the management label came back and were like, they're not paying you enough mm. for it to make it worthwhile for us. And I was like, well, but I want to do it. And they were like, no, basically. Mm. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, (laughs) I don't fully understand why I couldn't just do it, Mm. even though it was, like, not that much money because I just wanted Anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conversation because I think I also read about proper stalker over here, but we've (laughs) established it's my job. Um, But, you know, I think you you had an article recently talking about – you know, not necessarily wanting all the bits and pieces that come with fame and, you know, this trajectory and there's lots of different conversations out there and personal friends of mine in the in the music industry as well where it's almost like a certain expectation. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people who aspire to be musicians and, you know, think of this glam life or, you know, whatever. But it can be, yeah, very like, well, you've got to, you know, do this and write for that or, you know, and something that maybe you started from like a creative passion and love and expression um, can be very, I guess, yeah, commercialized. And how have you kind of, I guess, um, evolved through that? Especially, you know, I think you won the Triple J uh, Unearth High. Yeah. high. So, you know, so starting from a teenager to you know late twenties now, how has that been for you growing up in in this space? Um, just be clear, I didn't win it. I was a finalist. Oh, yeah. Um, Asta won it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I don't think I've ever wanted a glamorous life. Like, I think there have been times where I'm like, oh, it feels within reach if I try hard enough, so maybe I should try. Um, but I don't think that's actually innate to me. Like, I'm very function first. I like sports. I like games. I like things that like occupy my brain. And that for me has never been like, you know, red carpets and parties and all that stuff. Like I just don't have any interest in those things. They stress me out. I also like have, you know, like a lot of us had a interesting relationship with my body and like being publicly physical I suppose has been a a challenge in various ways for me over time you know back then it was a lot because of like insecurity about the way I looked and now it's like less insecurity about the way I look and more like accepting who I am but knowing that like in order to commercialize a career or at least help commercialize a career you need to like look a certain way Mm. um that's been tough for me but just because I'm not the sort of like uh, I don't know. I don't know. The thing I think about most is like people kind of know how to like strike a pose in their photos and shit. And I have no idea. Like I was never that person who like practiced or tried. And like in some ways I'm envious because I'm like, man, it seems like my life would just be easier if I just knew how and maybe if I just tried. But I also know it's just like not in me to do that stuff. And especially in an era of like social media when image mm. is so important, especially moving image now. It's like not only do you have to know how to pose for a static photo, but you also have to know how to like move comfortably and move in a certain mm. way that is attractive to like mm. conventional media. So you don't get which, made into a meme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I don't move in a conventional or attractive way to the media. Like that's just not who I am. And like I'm not a trained mover or anything like 
so I don't know that that's the stuff that now has been challenging for me but like yeah my passage to where I am now mentally I think has been like straightforward and that there were lots of like challenges and obstacles and you know roadblocks I ran into but like I definitely like from the age of like 16 was like I'm not a glamorous person (laughs) and then like and especially I don't think I I mean I didn't understand this until like literally like six months ago but I'm not like uh I don't I like I don't think I fit into like gender mm. binaries and, and all that stuff. And we really love to see women being women, quote unquote women, and men being quote unquote men in conventional media and especially in pop, which is like kind of the music I make, even though it feels more like sort of experimental indie pop sort of stuff to me. Um and like yeah, I just don't know how to exploit my image in that way because I don't like mm. I don't know. Have you been? Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah, go, 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 go. Well, go. yeah, I guess, like, how has that been? And, you know, especially for our, our queer audience who, you know, it's, I guess it's hope you'd like to say it's an inclusive, getting more inclusive of a world, but it's definitely, yes, definitely like gender biases still. And, but how has it been? And what, what's your kind of, I guess, like support system or ways that you have, you know, tried to carve out your, experience um correct me if I'm wrong but identify in the queer community and yeah yeah, like what it what's been your kind of I guess way through that for those who might be going you know what maybe yeah I don't fit in in that space yeah look I still kind of have a bit of imposter syndrome not too much but like a bit about it I sometimes worry like oh maybe I'm not queer enough or you know like I have a boyfriend like I I'm in a heterosexual presenting relationship even though both of us are bisexual and like pardon um and also I don't know I just like so many of my queer friends behave or have like lifestyles that maybe orient around like partying and raves and stuff like that. And that's never been me. And I definitely have friends like queer friends who are not like that. And, and I like introverts and, and, you know, are gamers like me and all that mm-hmm. stuff like that. But like, um, I think in the music industry, especially the expectation, like it's an intersectional issue of like, um, industry culture as well as like identity. And like, I feel like in the industry, people really like, it attracts people who enjoy the, that sort of party, outgoing, extroverted lifestyle, and I do not. I'm not attracted to that, and that has. That do you feel like has, it take it has a detriment to your to your career, or is it? It does it impact on yeah, a little bit, like in that. I think it's really important to be seeing people in the flesh and making friends and networking in the music industry and performing industries generally. And I don't go into those spaces because I don't like them and I don't feel mm-hmm. comfortable in them. And I think. I don't know. Like my career, I'm very content with my career. I do things like I do it full time. That's amazing. Mm. Like that's so almost impossible to do in Australia, especially. And like, I uh, know a lot of people. I do have a lot of friends in the music industry, but I do know that like, I feel as if like, if I, if I ingratiated myself more to like people in certain spaces, both like artists and just like industry middlemen, then I think, you know, I would have more opportunities, but I just mm. like, am not willing to mm. fork out that kind of energy expenditure, expenditure and like, yeah. Also, I just don't really, like, I hate the game of like, mm. tre- of like trying to ingratiate yourself to people. Like, I just think it's so I just don't, I don't care enough about like being wealthy or famous to like want to go through that whole thing. Mm. It feels hurtful to my pride. <laughs> and maybe no, but it's I think just, like, that's amazing. Just- I think it's awesome to see that you can hold true to your integrity. And I know that, I mean, listening to some of your new songs um, sounds like there's a bit of therapy going on in there with, mm-hmm. you know, understanding dynamics in a relationship and, and your past, you know, triggers and things like that. Um, but it's, yeah, it's inspiring to be like, you know, maybe I don't have to be, you know, industry forefront of, you know, even an advocate, a huge, big, you know, um, persona in this space. Um, but you can still have a career where you get David Byrne's attention and, you know, you're doing awesome things. Precisely. And I think, like, this is what I continue to try to do, even though, I'm like, there's an easy way to just succeed. <laughs> and that's just like not box myself in, not like limit myself to a certain like genre or brand or type of person. Like I know 
like in the same way that my feeling about my gender identity is completely amorphous and like illimitable, like I also know my interests and my curiosity are the same and like, which is why my music always sounds different because I want to pursue different things. And that's like, that's bad for commercialization. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All the same, I think there are people out there who have, who appreciate like my doggedness to just like be myself and do unconventional things. Mm -hmm. And, um, that counts and that matters. Mm -hmm. And I might not like, you know, easily attain like, I guess, security and stability in 2022 financially as an artist because, you know, so much of the industry has changed in ways that I don't fully, like, understand or think I'm able to, like, uh, contribute to. But, like, I don't know. There's still enough people supporting me or people that, like, you know, I guess are attracted to whatever I'm putting out that, Mm. like, I can still do it, which is amazing. And so... Yeah, I think I there's, yeah. there's, I really feel like there's a resonance that you send out when you're authentically yourself, you know, and it's like yeah. trusting that and knowing that, you know, if I stay true to who I am, like that's viable, it's, you know, because it's, I think it's what we're all craving as humans is yes. an authentic representation and 100%. connection with someone who's just like, fuck, they're being their actual selves. Like yeah. that's refreshing. hundred <laughs> percent. That's why we're all getting be real, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I... Definitely, gosh, it's just so much of the world is trying to get us to, um, what's the word, like exploit ourselves at every given moment, you know, mm. and like not have a moment's rest of not feeling surveilled or not feeling like we have to mm. do something at all times that seems productive or, you know, in some way impressive to another person, you know. And I think I, I do really appreciate like, you know, any public figure out there who does sort of just like keep being themselves. Mm. And, you know, I, one of my favorite artists is Kaho Nakamura, and she's like this Japanese indie artist who's amazing. She makes amazing music, mm. like songwriting is crazy, her voice is crazy. And she's like, I guess what people would call quirky, like people call me quirky, people call David Byrne quirky. But I think it is just like another word for someone who like isn't trying to like fit into some sort of mainstream success um and and also is maybe a bit playful I think that's inflected in in that term as well as you know someone who isn't taking themselves too seriously Mm. um and I look up to her so much like I don't know if she even speaks English and I can't understand most like I don't understand her lyrics and stuff but like I just listen to the music and I watch her and her music videos and live videos I'm just like Mm. that's how I want to be and like, if I appreciate that, then there's got to be someone else who appreciates that yeah. kind of thing as well in me. And um, it just feels like freedom because, yeah, it's like just someone who's mm. providing evidence that it's possible to live a life that isn't determined by, like, the implicit guidelines provided by social media and other conventions mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think you're right. And it's that, yeah, staying true to yourself. And I think, obviously, you've, you're on tour and you've got these crowds and people... You know, I think, you know, I think I saw a video of you on stage barefoot, which is very David Byrne of you. <laughs> I saw him in New York a few years ago and it's wild. But, um, yeah, and I think that's it, right, is like trusting that the right people to f- will find you, you know, that your people and it's like we live in this world of like, yeah, growing numbers and and, you know, statistics, but it's like, I've always had that with my career too of being like, you know, if this is for one person, then it's all worth it, you know, one yeah, person. 100%. I agree as well. This is like, this is like such a niche reference, but uh, there's a game called The Amazing Spider-Man, which is just like the <laughs> Spider-Man game, but it plots out a really beautiful main storyline around Peter Parker and his aunt who like help at a sort of large scale soup kitchen and Aunt May mm. is sort of his mentor and she's saying like, if you save one person, you save the whole world, which I think is a very beautiful phrase. Um mm and sentiment because it's like, well, don't stop helping people because you think it's going to be ineffectual in the grand scheme. Like you Mm. should still be trying to help people and, you know, guide them to some light because it counts even if it's, you know, amongst 9 billion people in the world or whatever the total is now. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it seems like a drop in the ocean. So, yeah, I think it's Mm. important to remember that. Yeah, and it's, I think, that thing of, you know, um, if you're yeah staying in your own lane and doing it your way 
then you can also sustain it as well in a world of creativity, you know, going, you know, reaching for the next thing and rather than being like, well, who is listening and needs this as well? Yeah. You know, um, amazing. And um, tell us a little bit about, because I know that, you know, maybe just while we're on this topic of speaking to people in need, um, your, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but your words, especially I found in this latest album, you know, they have this sense of vulnerability and rawness and, you know, open heart on your sleeve kind of vibe to it. Um, how is that? Is, is that right? And does that feel... Yeah, yeah. How how is that for you? I know you've yeah you've talked back to the topic of not necessarily being in that pop star light or even in that hustle mentality. But how is it showing up on a, on a public space and on stage and you know um, speaking yeah the inner workings of your life and relationships and and you know mental health or whatever that might topics you might be covering. Yeah, um, I've always been fine with it and comfortable with you know talking about the things I've gone through and, and the things I've grappled with and my insecurities and all that stuff. And I, I just like, it, it feels like a brag to say, but I don't mean it to be. I just don't think I have a very big ego. <laughs> like, I just, I don't think I actually care if people find fault in me or see my, you know, foibles because it's like, yeah, I know I have them. We all do. And that's okay. And I accept them in myself and other people as well. And, I think that's why I've always been comfortable singing in songs and also because I know other people are going to, like like we've been talking about, resonate with it as well. Like it's not, for me, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to like share and hopefully heal in solidarity, you know. Like I think it's an opportunity, you know, being open and being vulnerable is an opportunity, especially as an artist, to like create on like on scale like the ability for other people to also open up and, you know, interrogate their own issues and, and feelings. And I think it's really important that that exists, like, coming from artists, you know. I think artists do facilitate a kind of introspection that, like, of course, therapy can as well and talking to friends and all that stuff. But sometimes you just, like, need something that's privately for you that feels like it understands you in a way no one else can and often music can feel that way um at least it has for me and uh and also therapy is expensive and sometimes you just can't <laughs> afford it and so you turn to your favorite song you just scream that in your bedroom and mm. and it feels like someone understands you and you feel like more able to sort of get close to your soul mm. and all that stuff so I don't know I've never been it's never been something that I've been afraid of like I'd never experienced like a feeling of trepidation before I release an album that people are gonna like know about my personal life because I feel like I'm pretty open about my personal life anyway even amongst friends right like I feel like that's the most vulnerable thing is like releasing those songs and knowing your friends are gonna hear them and hear all the things the thing about that is I mostly tell my friends all those things and like mm. discuss that with them and I'm also yeah just not super worried that they're gonna see me as like some freak alien or something like that because like I know I, this is just mm. human stuff right like yeah. we're all feeling this way we just don't really talk about it mm. um isn't that the but, cover yeah. of your album <laughs> some cool it? monster thing yeah yeah no exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um Only. yeah Yes. Um, no, I love that. Um, and then, like, I guess, you know, on the topic of, um, yeah, speaking from that, your heart and, and vulnerability and stuff, is what's your kind of, I guess, um, vision or um, experience being, yeah, as a queer creative in Australia um, and tips and advice or, you know, insights for people in that space or, yeah, even just vision for the power of of people, you know, owning their, their sexuality or gender or mm. identities, um, yeah, for the queer community. Sorry, my cat. <laughs> I feel Are like we okay? have a pet at least on, on, every, on yeah. once on every episode. <laughs> he, he occasionally gets very needy. He's now like, he's just working up. So he's like, give me attention now. Do you want to hop on? Do you want to come up here? If it's not if it's not an animal, it's like a, a postman delivery. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or a baby or something. Yeah. Okay, he doesn't know what he wants. Um yeah. anyway, I so interestingly, I like most of my friends aren't actually in the music industry. Mm. I like went to University of Sydney 
for a semester when I was, you know, 18 after I finished high school and I went for a semester and a half actually. And during that semester and a half, I made heaps of friends that I was going to like all the theater sports sort of lunch times and the drama society and stuff. So I made friends with all these like people who are in creative sort of like industries and have creative capacities and are now, you know, like in like comedy or film or TV or whatever um, after university, there he is. Ouch. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of them are queer. Like I made friends with so many queer people at university who weren't necessarily in music. And I think that's kind of where I found my acceptance is just like, yeah, I just made heaps of queer friends early on who were similar to me, had similar interests and like that's I don't know those are the people I rely on as for the music industry like I feel like it took me ages to actually find people who thought in similar ways to me and were also queer because that's the other thing is like queerness isn't like there's no there's still division within the queer community right like you can be queer but also like a conservative (laughs) (laughs) you can be queer and then very left-wing like I am and so university sort of help me find like a progressive like queer people who felt the same way and saw you know issues of identity politics and also just like broad politics in the same way Mm. and I think that's sort of like helped me get through the music industry I've always like felt accepted somewhere even if it's like not necessarily Mm. in a community in the music industry that being said I've now you know online after the pandemic found like all these queer people who I really like who I've never hung out with in person but like Mm. we have an online relationship and we've made music together and all that stuff and it's been really lovely and while it's like not necessarily the same as all hanging out in like event spaces and stuff like that like that stuff still there he goes <laughs> that stuff still like increasingly getting booked and being organized and stuff like <laughs> just his ass right in the <laughs> um yeah you know like there are events happening which is really exciting and um definitely more queer, queer people in spaces like more and more on music video shoots and stuff like that I'm getting like you get an acknowledgement of country and then you also get like here's everyone like let's go in a circle so your names give your pronouns and like mm. so you know procedure is definitely changing a little bit in some spaces you still get like so much like cishet white men like all the time especially on Mm. crew like for festivals and the rest of it but like it's I think it definitely is improving um and as for community yeah a lot of it does feel like it's online but again that's only because I'm not really like a party person (laughs) um and I I think think heaps of that is happening like in in various venues I think it's yeah it's it's that importance of finding your community right of like you know whether it's in your industry or not but like seeking out those people who can help you to, you know, explore yourself and and what you stand for and all of those things for sure. I think, yeah, the thing I felt when I was 18 or 19 was just like, oh, I just have to latch onto any place that looks attractive or appealing, right? Like any group or Mm. artist or community that like seems like there's some kind of clout attached to it. And I think that's sort of a trap you fall into when you're young and then as you get older you're like, oh, actually, like even if – people are attracted to these specific people or spaces like it doesn't necessarily mean it's for me um Mm. I think that's sort of the journey I went on you know in my early mid-20s was like oh like I don't need to pursue x thing because it's popular right now like I can Mm. actually just find my community and that'll be enriching and fulfilling in Mm. in and of itself yeah amazing Um, and I know you, you spoke a bit about it on your blog, but I know that we've got a lot of creative entrepreneurs and artists and musicians um, here who would probably love to hear a bit of your process. Uh, the way that I read the situation, it seemed like you were like, I've got this dream and I'm going to go after it and, like, let's not stop till it's done. Uh, obviously talking about your collaboration with David Byrne, who's a huge idol of yours. Um, but do you want to give us a bit of a, a run-through of how that went down and, like, yeah, share the experience of, like, when you set out to do something, what's possible? Well, it's really... I. <laughs> It's really not that impressive or traumatic. It's like, uh, you know, I've always loved David Byrne. Dave Hammer, who produced Making It, the record that I released recently, uh, was like, we have to get David Byrne on this record. You always talk about him. And I was like, yeah, well, I would have done that years ago if I knew how. So figure that. And then he was like, 
I will. <laughs> and then he asked his manager, um, Todd Wagstaff at the time to just sort of like see if he could get a contact or not. And Todd was getting an email like that David from someone who knew someone who knew someone. And the guy was just like, just send an email and see what happens. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I just like sent David a friendly email being like, hi, David, like, um, sorry for the rogue email, but I'm on Tane, like I'm doing this project and I was wondering if you wanted to collab on like a song that I wrote for you to be on, blah, blah, blah. And he replied, like, he just replied. He just replied within 12 hours. It was like, hi, Jess, it's good to hear from you. Like, I've never heard of your project before, which is strange because I listen to music very broadly, but I'm excited to like go and have a listen. Let me like process and digest the music and then I'll get back to you. How was the anxiety levels? Like, was it, <laughs> he's like, is this a real, is someone well, stitching me up? <laughs> this thing is like, I was like, I feel like the outcome is either he replies and that's amazing or he doesn't. And then I just go on with my life and at least I gave it a shot, you know? Um, and I was doing this with a lot of artists at the time as well. Like I emailed or Instagram damned a bunch who was like, maybe they'll be on my record. And I just like, I don't know, you just get to the point where for me, at least, I think I used to be afraid of like doing that and just asking random mm. artists that I, you know, was inspired by or cared about to, make music with me I think I was a bit too much like oh I'll be like inconveniencing them by like asking or I'm a nobody or not big enough so they won't be interested or whatever and now I'm like you know what like doesn't matter like if they ignore they ignore and I you know can just move on with my life and know that they're not interested and there's a thousand if not a million other people in the world who might be like keen to collab Mm. and they say yes amazing right like to me I don't think anyone would ever reply and be like f off you bitch (laughs) like like, you know I think I think it would be probably fine so um yeah I just like emailed and he emailed back and it was amazing Mm. and then I emailed back again and I was just like oh thank you so much like great to hear Mm. from you and at that point I was like this is enough like even if he's not on the song I'm talking to David Byrne right now he's like paying attention to me he put like three of my songs on like his monthly playlist or whatever and I was like this is the best thing ever Mm. and then we didn't hear back about the music for a while but after like a few months my management followed up and were like hey you're just checking in on this and he was like, yeah, I'll just finish Broadway rehearsals for American Utopia. So I'm like free now to like peruse mm. things. And he listened to the music and he was like, these are all hits to me. Like, mm. sounds great. I'd love to be on the song. Immediately mm. like wrote for it and recorded all the vocals and they were perfect. And then same with Always Be You, which is the second song he's on. Like I didn't write that for David, but I was like, look, would you be interested in like singing on the bridge? Cause there's no bridge yet. Like I haven't known what to write there and, and then he was like keen for that as well. And he also ended up seeing the second verse. And he was just like a real, he was just keen. Like, I mm. don't know, he just likes to make things. And I think that was like a really important part. That is a really important important part of like gauging interest for collaborations, I think generally as well. Is like usually you can kind of tell if the artist would actually reply to your email or like be interested because like, they're putting out that vibe. Like everyone that has replied to me and said yes, like even Michael Lupte, who's on my album, like you can just tell from the music and her online presence that like she would 100% reply and like be excited and stuff like that. There are some artists who like whose whole thing is building this sense of exclusivity and like um, mm-hmm. mystery and untouchableness, which is like totally valid and I get it. But also it's not very like, yeah, it is very like, outsiders are not welcome kind of thing mm. which is you know fair enough as well because yeah. a bunch of these artists get like probably heaps of requests to collab from randoms yeah. and they can't fucking vet every single one right but like i don't know it's like david ben is the biggest like one of the biggest artists in the world and he still has this like mm. open generosity to like peruse new things yeah. and be curious and like I've, i listened out. to him in a, on a podcast recently uh, a while back now but like the gauge that I got and, you know, the kind of take of your interaction and, you know, how it came to be is like two people who love creating and like it's, you know, he's been around for years and he's incredible success and he is this, you know, well-known name and it's this, yeah, it's like when you find the person that's actually, you know, like the common denominator is you're just like, should we just play with music? You know, like that's the vibe I got of like, let's see what we can make. And that the mutual love for 
creating, you know, which I think goes back to kind of where we started this conversation of finding those people who are like, let's play, you know, let's not take it so seriously or let's create because we love creating. It's not all about commercial or, you know, reputation or where we go or who you put your name to, but like, you know, finding the like-minded people. And I think it's really easy for people to be like, oh, I should be associated with that or that, you know, things. And do things that ne- aren't necessarily in alignment with who they want to be and what they want to create, but are doing it because it'll help the career or whatever. Yeah. And it felt very much like it didn't matter about career stats or any of that between the two of you. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I just, mm-hmm. I also think he doesn't have any ego. I don't think he's like, this person needs to have this number of followers or mm. plays on Spotify in order for me to work with them. I think he's just like, if I like it, then I like it. <laughs> like, right. And that's what I'm interested in pursuing. And, you know, I'm the same. Like, I don't care about the clout thing. And I know, like, I'm sure my management and label are like, ah, like, they're like, no, but you should care about the clout thing. And, like, you want to be trying to escalate your career all the time and, like, trying to collab with people who are big. But it's like, it's not what my interest. It's just, like, I have no, that does not spark joy. Mm. And, like, I also... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not mercenary-minded enough. Like, I'm just, I'm not mm. a business person and I don't care about, I make, I don't care about making money the normal amount, which is, like, <laughs> paying my bills, having leftover for holidays and, like, maybe some nice things, but, like, that's all I need mm. and I don't, you know, right. But I think that's it, right, is, like, and, and maybe where the be real conversation is coming from as well is that we're, like, you know, why have all of these things or why, you know, if it doesn't make you happy or if you're so stressed or you're in this full, like, you know, hustle mentality that you don't get to see your friends and family or that you're, you know, on the verge of burnout all the time. It's like, yes. I think we're really on, hopefully COVID has shifted this and continues to shift it of being like, what's important, you know, and yeah. what are our values and why don't we just, and that's my passion too, is like design a career because you get to wake up every day and do what you love and put a roof over your head, you know, and yeah. yeah. Well, well, this is the other difficult thing, right, is that, like, even if you get to the point, I feel very lucky because I'm capable of entertaining all these thoughts financially, but, like, (laughs) there are so many other people who are like, well, I do want to do exactly what I love, but it does feel like if I don't work as much as I'm working right now or if I do take a break or if I do quit my job to find another one to maybe pays less but like you know maybe gives me more rights I was something you know like capitalism still gonna leave me behind like the whole thing is that like it's constant escalation and growth and if you're not growing with it then you get left behind and the fear of that is just like so one paralyzing two also like you know, people go into fight or flight and some people like just fully fly and some people fully fight and like will do the like getting to the point where they're burnt out and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, it's totally reasonable and sometimes just like not at all our choice. Like, I think that's really important in the discussion about like living your authentic creative life. It's like for some people, like they're one, just like not middle class or two, Mm. you know, are middle class, but only middle class by this like skin of their teeth or whatever, Mm. you know, like it's, it's, yeah, it's, I'm lucky again, because I'm, I get work without Mm -hmm. having to do too much. Like if I did more, I would probably get more work. But at Mm -hmm. this point, like Mm. I'm, fine and I can accept that where for the people it's still a journey to like actually try Mm. to get to that point of stability yeah 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 I mean you've been doing it for a while you know 10 years or so now yeah Yeah. um which kind of takes us back to where we were going to (laughs) start half an hour in um is that journey I you know and I'd be interested to hear what your process has been from I know a lot of creators you know, do want, or, or it's easy, I think, with social media to perceive an overnight success or win after win or things yeah. are coming easy to people. But, like, mm-hmm. I know, I, I think, you know, going to your Wikipedia page of, like, you know, you, you into sports at school and, and were a part of this competition that gave you some hype and then that led to, I think you were explaining to me earlier, licensing yeah. of, you can let us know what that is. But I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, there was, you know, you, you didn't really put anything out for two years after that initial hype, which you can tell me the backstory of it. But um, 
I, I think I was felt really inspired by that because I think that people can, especially in a world of content creation and fast paced, you know, get things out, keep with trends, you know, do this, do that, you know, don't fall behind, stay in the algorithm, you yep. know, now be doing this. You know, we there's a I had this conversation a lot around losing sight of creativity that takes time to yeah. grow and expand 100%. and yeah. and you know if, if, I think the the comment that was said was you know you spent two years perfecting your vocal training or or you know developing your voice or something. Tell me if Wikipedia is wrong. <laughs> Go and edit your Wikipedia. Page. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not editing myself. Actually, who does? I have a feeling it's like one of my parents or something. Dad's um, uh, side hustle. Yeah. Uh, I... But yeah, maybe take us back to if you're okay with it, that journey from, you know, high school and I think not even really, I think is it right that you've recorded a song for your soccer tryouts video yes, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so basically I was, I was a good student, I like straight A student and also very good at football. My dad was a professional player and I wanted to, at that point, become one as well, like move to the US, get a like Ivy League college scholarship ideally and, and be playing football most of the time. And so I, and I was already writing songs and singing songs privately, like I didn't share them with my parents or anyone else. And my mom, <clears throat> my parents knew I sang, but they didn't know I was writing songs and my mom was like for your video portfolio with like your reels, like your football highlights, basically. <laughs> Why don't you like record your own song with our neighbor's like a brother, <clears throat> um, pardon, who like just has a bedroom studio and that can go over so that they know you have multiple talents. And so we did that and I just did a day with him and then we did my own song. And when it came back, my parents were like, shook because they didn't know I wrote my own music and they loved it and thought it was the best thing ever of course because they're parents and so my mom would just like got obsessed and she was like oh my god like you have to record more of these songs and she found this guy who like had a studio and would like take like I think like $800 a day or something to record like to do a day with me basically and he worked fast so like we were able to like you know make a song in a day or sometimes two songs in a day um and I think we only did like two or three days. I can't remember anymore, but I think there were like three or four songs that came out of that. And just to be clear, like my parents don't have money. <laughs> like they, my mom, they're both immigrants. And I think they both just like really want, have always wanted the best for me and my sister. And my mom saw an opportunity in this and like, and also was just really proud and excited and just, you know, it's great. best that they could scrape together like this money to get me through this. And then, they put the songs like all over social media, all over YouTube, SoundCloud, everything, and submitted it to Unearth High, and and then it became like one of the songs became a finalist entry, which was just like completely unexpected. Like I didn't even listen to Triple J. I wasn't across this. Like I didn't <laughs> know what was going on, and then I was very excited. I was like, oh, shit, my songs are being played on the radio. This is crazy. Um, and meanwhile, I was like still writing songs because that's just what I did. I wasn't doing it because I expected a career. I just enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically, cause that happened when I was in year 11 and then, um, you know, competition and whatever people were booking me for gigs and I was just like doing it with like a guy on the guitar. I just found a guy who my mom, I don't know. I don't even know what she was paying him. If anything, probably something, it's gotta be something. But anyway, I meanwhile also signed with like a publishing deal because they love young talent because, you know, they can start them young and also like people are obsessed with like young stars so anyway I signed with them because my mum was just like hunting around for more studios for me to record more songs in and then this like publishing label Alberts who had a studio were like actually can you come in and talk to us well uh, like six months later contract signed um and then year 12 came and my mum and I were both like I want to do well at the HSC so I'm gonna not like do anything too fancy this year and I'm just going to focus on my studies. And I think during school holidays I maybe like wrote with some people that Albert's the publishing label like put me in a room with and like that was really weird and I was fucking freaked out by that because I was like a 17-year-old who had no idea how the real world worked and um, I was deeply afraid of adults. And, uh, yeah, and then I finished the HSC, did well, happy with it. And I think towards the end of that year – 
And like, instead of going to schoolies, I recorded my EP, like Albert's helped us find a producer and also advanced money to make it affordable. And I ended up recording with Tony Buchan, um, who, you know, is my longtime friend now and has produced a lot of my music. And that was like kind of my, that was my first body of work. And uh, my mom was managing me up to that point and it was not going well. Like mm-hmm. in that, like, you know, I didn't think me and my mom should be in a business relationship. <laughs> um, and Albert's like helped find us, like find me a manager. And Wonderlick ended up being the people that we met where we were like, oh, yeah, this sounds good. They were happy with me. I was happy with them, signed with them. And then um, they were like, look, you need money and you don't have money because my parents aren't rich. This is something also that, like, a lot of artists will never tell, like, say publicly, is that, like, so many people who do make it have rich parents. <laughs> like, mm. If they're not signing with a major recording label who just, like, advances heaps of money, they have mm. rich parents. Like, mm. that's how it works. Anyway, um, my parents aren't rich, so I had to sign to a label. And, uh, like, yeah, i happy with the label. But it, uh, there was not much money in it. Like, uh, some mm. artists you hear, they get advanced up front, like, literally millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars mm. and I might advance this ten thousand dollars which got me mm. like a laptop and a guitar and mm-hmm. maybe something else like some gear um and but the, this is the thing though is like the reason why my advance was so small is because instead of a 360 recording deal I got a licensing deal which is much fairer on me so the label takes less of a cut than they usually would on like digital and physical sales, which, you know, physical more relevant, you know, 10 years ago than it is now. Mm -hmm. But, um, and also 12 years after I end my contract with them, I own my masters again. So Mm -hmm. for a 360 recording deal, the label owns everything about you. And Mm -hmm. even after you leave them, they still own that music and you don't see a cent from it. And you might Mm -hmm. still have to like recoup money back to them, like from the Mm -hmm. advance. So, advances as well just to be clear for people who might not know is literally just like a bank loan and the label mm. is the bank and they give you this money they're like yeah have a million dollars do whatever you want with mm. it and you're like yeah, money but then like you owe them a million dollars out of mm. the streams or the sales that you make basically mm. and also you know depending on your contract maybe also from live sales and you never like that's the thing you don't want to give away because that's where you make your money maybe not anymore because like Mm. post-pandemic it's just like fucking impossible things are crazy out there but like that's basically that was built into my contract that like Mm -hmm. they don't take a cut from my live sales I think they don't take a cut from my merch I can't remember it's literally just like Mm -hmm. digital sales and Mm -hmm. um and like syncs, I think as well. Like uh, when my songs get put on like TV and and um, mm-hmm. film and stuff, I think the paper cut from that maybe I can't remember. But um, that's basically what happened. Is like I signed that very quickly. Uh, my mom had a like lawyer look over it very thoroughly, and um, so yeah, I I think my mom did a really great job at protecting mm. me. Honestly, like mm. she, she really stuck her neck out, and um, and fortunately, my management are like really good, reliable people as well, and I've mm-hmm. never had an issue with them. Ari, like money or being taken advantage of, um, and yeah, kind of just like went from there, right? Because Triple J already knew of me; they were keen on me. They liked the music; they played it. I was like Triple J's golden child for a couple of years, mm. and got you know like Hilton Hoods heard my like version cover and were like, "Do you want to sing on this song?" And that song ended up being a massive hit, and just so happened I was releasing an album that year and then that album did really well so that's kind of how I got here is like 2016 just like this Mm. series of events happened I won the ARI award like all that stuff happened and that was probably honestly like the peak of my career not to say that like I haven't done impressive things since then but like in terms of like Mm, commercial presence and like popularity that's when I was sort of like Mm. on top so to speak but yeah I you know this is the thing is like I think other people would have continued to capitalize on that and grow it more. Like Mm. I didn't want to do the things required Mm. of me to like grow it more Mm. because it just wasn't within one, my wheelhouse two my training, which is none and three, my values, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, there are certain things I won't do if it 
I am offered a lot of money. I mean, it's amazing. I think it's incredible role model and it's almost refreshing because I think, you know, especially of late, there's been a lot of stories come out after the fact where people are like, you know, I know I think you covered Sia and she speaks very openly about, you know, the pressure of the industry and, you know, why she wears a wig and steps away from a lot of it because, you know, and, and so it's nice to hear that, you know, the, the, the forethoughts, Forethought, the pre-empting yeah, forethought. Yeah. Forethought of, um, yeah, of that, you know, and that staying true, which is, I think, amazing for people to hear it as a role model and that you can have both, you know. Yes. Mm. Yeah. If possible, it was very hard. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Well, can I ask about what, what, what do you do? Like how do you, who do you surround yourself with or what practices do you have? How do you keep your head straight when you you know, could easily be pulled in lots of different directions or, you know, caught up in a in a level of fame. For sure. Um, I mean, my partner is fabulous. Like he he's just one of the kindest, most consistent, dignified people I've ever met and, like, really I think is kind of my moral standard a little bit. He's, like, one of the most charitable and compassionate people I know. And, um, he really helps. I mean, he hasn't always been there, but you know, especially in like the last few years, he's been a real rock, I guess. Um, and also, I don't know, I just like, I've always had friends who've been like really supportive and open. And I think that's partly a function of my own being open and supportive Mm. and being able to be vulnerable with them. I have like really beautiful friendships and people who are honest with me and who are not judgmental and, who I can talk to about anything and I think that is like mm. very helpful. I don't feel like I have any fake friends, you know, mm. and usually I can kind of tell when someone's being a bit fake with me and I'm quite repelled by that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that. But I don't know, like I growing up, I grew up Christian and I'm sure like there's a lot of shittiness around like a lot of religion in their text, but there's also a lot of really beautiful stuff and I feel like I've definitely like – you know, internalized a bunch of the good stuff. I've definitely internalized a bunch of the bad stuff, but, you know, I'm doing the work time to pick that as well. Um, And I've always journaled and I've always been introspective and I've always, like, I think been quite self-aware and also, I don't know, capable of empathy. And so, (laughs) I, you know, the combination of all those things means that I'm constantly, like, monitoring my own behavior and thoughts and Mm. trying to figure out what the best way to do things is and, you know, um, how my behavior affects other people and um I don't know that's that's always been mm. you know yeah. helpful I haven't gotten into much trouble you know in mm-hmm. my life because I feel like I've always been aware of other people that being said I do feel like I could have taken more risks you know in my life socially or otherwise and I'm just had a bit more fun I think mm. I have been like pretty I think in my early 20s I was very obsessed with what the right thing was and mm. had a very rigid view of what that was and now, you know, I've, I'm, I think I'm a bit more relaxed. But, mm. you know, I don't know, friends, family, yeah. partner, that mm-hmm. all helps. I grew up doing team sport. Mm. You know, I know how it, <laughs> what it is to, like, cooperate yeah. with people and work together on a problem. And um, mm. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And also I was going to ask a bit of a personal question um, or my own personal yeah, reasons is um there seems to be a bit of a cosmos theme in oh, yeah. your recent work um I don't know about you if, if I'm hitting it right but uh-huh. definitely I, I also grew up in the in the Christian faith and have got really angry at it when I came out and then when I you know being able to find my peace with it through yeah seeing the commonalities in all spiritualities and religions and ways of Mm. life over the years um but of late especially a and a a bit of an obsession with space and and the cosmos and infinite possibilities Mm. what what's your is that part of a spirituality or belief system for you or is that just part of your vibe right now (laughs) um I feel like the answer is a bit complicated because when I was 17 or 18, I was very, it was very, very much was like a part of my spirituality in the sense that like, you know, I was researching like pantheism and animism and the idea that there was like spirituality and God within everything and everything had a like (laughs) sacred nature to it, not in the, you know, Christian or whatever way, but in a like just respect for nature (laughs) and life and 
and all of that and the connectedness of all things. And I think I'm like far less attached to that notion than I was then. Like then I was very much like I'm going to live in the woods by myself and just meditate every day. <laughs> That's kind of how it manifested, which I think is also a kind of like false sort of way of adhering to that kind of thing. Like, like you, I, I feel like when you come across when you have that realization for the first time and you're just like, this is the only way. Yeah, and yeah. then you have to, Especially I know for kid, me, yeah. it's like, I'm quitting everything. Yes, yeah, 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 no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, precisely. none of this matters. Exactly. Um, but it having to, felt, yeah. Yeah. And for, for having to find the way back into also being a human. Yes. Mm. But well, so this is the thing is like, now I'm definitely a spiritual person, but not in like, I don't really, there's nothing I really, practice like I don't meditate regularly anymore when I do yoga it's mostly because my body feels shit and so I need to like stretch out like you know I and I don't there I don't really have many rituals and stuff the only ritual that I really keep is like journaling every single day and I think doing that you know forces me to reflect upon life and make sure I take myself out of the mundane just for a second to like recognize Mm. what is actually around me and happening around me and and the significance of it all. And I think the cosmos for me, what is beautiful and sublime and terrifying about them is that like there is just there is just infinity and there are just like endless things and endless diversity and so many things happening outside of myself in my life that are much bigger and scarier and like important than I am. And mm that's both like really comforting and also really mm. terrifying and I and really it's, yeah yeah it's good for the ego death though right of like a hundred percent having I an mean, ego it's important yeah. to like reflect on these things I think because mm. it you know it forces you to be humble and mm. you know but also in a way that's like I'm going to be so humble that I'm going to limit myself mm. and I'm going to like assert my needs and wants and all that stuff yeah like, I don't think that that's not it it's like no you just have to recognize that you're Mm. not the only entity in the world that means Mm. anything and (laughs) there's so much meaning to everything because there is nothing is means anything (laughs) you know what I mean like yeah I don't know if you say everything everywhere all at once oh my god I love it yeah but um it's the whole thing of like (laughs) you wouldn't feel hurt if it actually didn't mean anything like the whole thing Mm. that um Fuck, what's the what's her name again? The, oh, horrible names. Yeah, because she's got like a strange like villain name. I don't know, the daughter basically. Yeah. Joy? Joy Joy. Her name's Joy. Um Joy's whole thing is like, I'm gonna go into the bagel because I don't want to feel anything anymore, basically. Mm. And you don't matter to me, and blah, like her mom doesn't matter to her anymore or whatever. And then her mom's whole thing is like, no, like the reason why you feel like this is because it all does really matter a, quite mm. a lot. And that's like mm. the thing with life is that things are always going to matter and you actually can't really run away from mm. them. And anyway. Yeah, no, okay, I, I love this forever. conversation. Yeah, no, yeah. it's it's that thing, right? It's like I think for me at least I tap into that, that, you know, the outside perspective of like, hang on, like, yeah, my mundane little shit things that I get really worked up about, you know, using it as a perspective for like, yeah, it, it's not as serious as we make it out to be. But in the same time, the balance between having a human experience and using the things that matter and that make us feel to evolve as a human and, you know, form connections and to give it meaning. Yeah. <laughs> Love um, it. Yeah. But Could go on. I don't know. I, the cosmos yeah. as well, I think it's just like... I, it kind of feels like the ultimate solution to cut through like social media and stuff like that Mm. right like just contemplating that stuff is like sometimes social media can also feel like the be all and end all that Mm. aspect of like our social lives and like ultimately Mm. you look up and you're like holy shit there's like a whole 3d Mm. thing out there (laughs) that like cannot be contained by this thing that i'm on 24 7 and that's like you know, it's wonderful that that can never be touched. And it's also why yeah. I feel so upset every time I hear stories, or like new new stories of like some other billionaire trying to colonize like mm. a planet. I'm just like, yeah. 
just leave it alone honestly yeah. like it's not necessary anyway yeah <laughs> we can start a scratch from scratch for this conversation but we won't get into it yeah, thank yeah. you so much for sharing so much of your story and your wisdom and maybe just to finish it off you could say what would your number one tip be for someone out there looking to you know start their career in music or to to pick it back up and chase it or to aspire to something along the lines of your career what would you what would your tip be um mm, feels so difficult to give advice in this day and age and I also don't feel necessarily qualified to do it but um I think like the thing that's always helped me stay on a path that I'm content with is like picking my idols and being like what did they do how did they think like I want to be like them so how do I tap into the way that they think mm or at least what aspects of their thinking can I take away with me that feels true to myself and like just like write it down in various mm. places consistently. That's like, I used to do that a lot. I feel like I have to do it less now because I've internalized a lot of it, you know, being in my late twenties, but like in my early twenties, I often was like making lists and like writing down quotes and watching videos and like doing all that stuff. And I think like doing that kind of research and reading really helps you come back to your sort of center um and I think that's sort of what you want to be striving for all the time is like coming back to the crux of who you are um mm. and trying to believe in that uh despite how different it might look to like the rest of society and what what they sort of are commercializing so um, that's what I Amazing. would say Great advice. Very qualified. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely to have you and thanks for being here. Anytime.